Hi everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. Today's episode is part three of our trilogy featuring special guests Jason Von Steetz and David Smith about Data as a strategist. If you haven't done so already, go check out episodes 162 and 163, where we discuss some of Data's key moments in the Next Generation series and movies from Jason and David's unique perspectives as sports psychologists. Today, we're completing Data's arc by analyzing his character's appearance in Star Trek Picard Season 3. Engage! For our final segment of this discussion, let's warp into season three of Star Trek Picard. Just real quickly, Jason and David, what were your overall impressions of this most recent season of Star Trek? I'll, I'll just jump in and, and say, oh, I, I loved it. And I think to sum it all up, after the season finale, during the the credit or the the post credit scene, they were playing poker together, and they were just being friends. And it was the whole gang back together. And uh, for me, that that sort of sums up the entire season. It was old friends solving problems, celebrating, overcoming together, and uh, just it just felt uh, like like coming home again. It was great. I overall really enjoyed it as well, and it was really nice to see compared to the first two seasons, which I did enjoy, but they weren't quite as strong as I would have hoped them to be, so this was definitely the strongest of the three seasons, I think. I am a little exhausted of the whole, you know, universe is doomed trope that seems to be playing in every iteration of it so but it was nice that at the end like you said jason that they're all just playing poker everybody's alive Mm -hmm. it's a happy ending and so i'm hoping that you know maybe finally we can get like a tng version of star trek 4 where Mm -hmm. it's a like you know the whales the one with the whales right you know Mm -hmm. uh the voyage home where you know i'm ready for like a low stakes adventure with the crew of just Mm -hmm. having fun doing something that, you know, isn't isn't going to destroy the universe, but just, you know, you know, that allows them to kind of be a little more laid back and have fun. But I mean, it was really great to see. I, I thought it was really smart how they were able to actually write in the different characters and make sure that they all had a major plot point in the, in the story rather than just saying, oh, look, here's, you know, this person you love and here's that person you love. No, they actually made sure that everybody had something to do, had a reason to be there. And they wrote them in at the right time, you know, and said, okay, well, we don't need this character right now. So we can give them a few more episodes later on before we introduce them. That way, you know, it's, you know, kind of a nice by the end of it, by those last two or three episodes when everybody's together and then we finally get to, you know, go back and see the Enterprise D. And then there's that whole final two episodes where everybody's just like, "Ah, it's back to TNG again. Oh my gosh. You know, so kind of that, that real like big reunion that everybody's been wanting you know, ever since uh, ever since the disaster of Star Trek Nemesis, right? So, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, you know, it was, I thought it was a really strong ending and really, really well done the way that they did it overall. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, all of the characters had very meaningful roles and uh, the introductions were well-timed. And so for Data, the subject of our podcast today, he wasn't really introduced to us uh, until the second half of the season. And so let's go all the way to episode eight of season three of Star Trek Picard, when we find out that Data and his evil brother Lore are fused inside of one new synthetic body, and they're both kind of like vying for control inside of that positronic brain. Curious. I'm finding it difficult to maintain focus. Not your focus, brother. Your existence. I'm consuming you. At any moment, you will simply cease to be. And all these memories, so priceless to you, will simply fade away. My memories define me. I am who I am because they exist. Even though I do not share your desire to dominate, I recognize, given my current state, I am powerless to stop you. There's this extremely moving scene where Data appears to be giving up himself, his memories, his emotions, his thoughts, to Lore. But in so doing, Data actually conquers Lore by making him a part of himself. So what does this particular scene illustrate about Data as a strategist? For me, I looked at this and I really I really liked the way that they did this scene. You know, the whole drama of the visualization kind of it was almost like an EEG type network on mm. on the display with uh, everybody watching. But then, you know, as they played out with, you know, lore and data together, obviously, you know, you could do a whole thing on lore and data's arc on its own front. Right. Because it's a whole sibling thing. And, and you know, a lot of that kind of stuff that plays out here that resolves itself as well. But I look at this as data's handing his memories over to lore and it's, it's memories that are of specific importance, right? So he has one of Tasha Yar. He has one of, you know, spot of course is the big one as well. Included in this memory are the many hours I spent playing poker with my friends. These belong to you now. Tell me, why are you giving me these things? Because you have had nothing while I have had everything. This is Spot. This simple creature managed something quite miraculous, something of which I did not know I was capable. In a way, he taught me to love. He is the best of me. The last of me. Yes. And when it finally gets revealed that Data is wins in the end, you know, he talks and he says, well, I uncovered the flaw in your strategy, Lore, and, and realized for Lore that he saw conquering Data, he saw getting Data's memories as a trophy. So he knew that Data was extrinsically motivated and he, he was more interested in the achievement of, hey, look, here's my trophy. It's almost like his brother was going to be a, a, a head on the wall, you know, in his study kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so Data was smart enough to be able to, to perceive that and understand it as it was happening. And so then he was able to play into it and say, okay, 
you know, here, here's your trophy. Here's your trophy. Here's your trophy. Take all the trophies. What's happening? I merely discovered the error in your deception. That my memories were not without value to you. I knew because they belonged to me, you would see them as trophies and be unable to resist them. You took the things that were me, and in doing so, you have become me. We are one now. We are me. Goodbye, brother. And then I thought it was really great that they used Spot at the very last one that they Mm -hmm. gave him because of the significance of Spot and Data's development in his quest for humanity and how, you know, you kind of see Lore when he picks up Spot. He kind of starts to feel a little bit of that itself. It's, oh, you know, cute kitty Mm -hmm. and, you know, and everything like that. And then, of course, it flips, you know, and Data turns out is the one that comes out in the end. And I thought that was really smart because, again, you know, it's, you know, he's got you know, the full capability, the emotion chip at this point. And, and he's got all of his experiences at this point and, and his experiences with lore as well and understanding because he had gone up against lore numerous times. So over the course of TNG, so he knew, you know, okay, here's kind of lore's motivations and intentions and what he wants to get out of this. And so he was able to, again, like we were talking about with the Borg queen with, with the, the Romulans and with Paul Rami is be able to say, okay, we're playing almost for a draw here. You know, I'm I'm keeping up with you and I'm playing along with you. And then, you know, at the end, he was able to say, okay, he identified Lore's biggest weakness and played right into that. So that, you know, he when he was finally able to make his move, you know, he was able to intercept it and make it happen. Yeah, it, it definitely um, spoke to me in sort of the same way uh, as you were saying, David, about you know how Data handled the Borg Queen. He recognized the goals and the intentions of his opponent and was able to adjust his strategy in a really unique way to deceive that opponent and to actually come out victorious in the end in a very unexpected way. Jason, what did you make of this Data lore interaction from Star Trek Picard? I thought it was great. I I thought it was a a beautiful metaphor in many ways. So we all have this internal struggle with whatever we're struggling with. And if there's a part of yourself, if there's a certain quality or or thoughts that you have that you're not proud of, you feel in conflict with, you're never going to be able to aggressively defeat it. If you try to block out a certain part of you, uh, and I might have even mentioned this last time, but there's that classic uh, example of don't think of a pink elephant and then what do you immediately think of a pink elephant? So if you're having uh, certain thoughts or personality traits and you're trying to block it out and defeat it in some way, it's just going to keep coming back over and over and over again. And what you have to do is accept that part of yourself And if there's some kind of trauma that happened that is causing, you know, those thoughts or or those behaviors or personality traits, then it's going to be important to heal that trauma or to um, find a way to take the power away from from those those scary 
thoughts or from that from that part of yourself. And the way that data defeats lore is by accepting him in many ways, accepting the situation and sharing his gifts. And, and I think that's that's just a beautiful metaphor for what we all need to do with whatever it is that we're dealing with internally. Uh, you know, at the end, he embraces Lore as well. So mm-hmm. not just accepting him, but embracing right. him as part of who he is as a person, which I thought exactly. was really powerful. Exactly. Yeah. An extremely powerful and moving analysis. Wow. I, I, I feel like I have new glasses through which to watch Star Trek now, thanks to you two. Just one last question about Star Trek. Uh, In the grand finale of season three of Star Trek Picard, with the fate of the Federation on the line, the Enterprise has to navigate the interior of a Borg cube in one super epic scene. And this is a feat that seems, uh, at first, very impossible. Data even says, statistically, probability, yes, it's nearly impossible but my gut tells me that I can do this. Regular Enterprise, you should have the beacon schematics. Receiving. The good news is we have a clear read on its position. The bad news is it's at the heart of the cube itself. The only way to take out the hive is to take out that beacon it's going to be impossible. I mean, no computer, not even my daughter could navigate us through this. Data, what the hell are you doing? I've got this, Jordy. Data, it's impossible. Data? Trust me. Data, I said no. Statistically, probability, yes. It's nearly impossible. But my, my gut tells me I can do this. Your gut? Yes. You've got to be sure, Data. Please, everyone, just trust me. So, for you two, in the context of Data's grand evolution as a character and as a strategist, as we've talked about, you know, this is perhaps one of the best character arcs in all of Star Trek. What does this scene mean to you coming at the very end of the last episode of Star Trek Picard? Probably a closing moment for all of TNG. What does it mean to you to see Data going with his gut it was it was beautiful uh, so data is always as, as we know he's always strived to become more and more human and the idea is that he never fully gets there 100 percent, but he gets closer and closer over time and people maybe we strive for perfection or we strive for certain goals and oftentimes we never really get there, but we get closer and closer. And it's that it's that effort, it's that trying and learning and failing and trying again that is um, so meaningful and important to the human experience. So in a lot of ways, data trying to become human and then never getting there, never fully getting there, but getting closer and closer is actually very human. It's very human to really strive for something and and fall a little bit short, but always get a little bit closer. Uh, so I thought that was great. And relating it to athletes, um, athletes do hours and hours and hours of training, hours of watching film and all these other things. And then when it's time to compete, try to just let all of that go. Don't be in your head, just just compete. Just trust all of your years of training and just just do, just just compete in that moment. And in a lot of ways, that's what Data was doing. He, he's got a positronic brain. He's got years of, or decades of experience in Starfleet. 
you know, he could spend hours or for him, maybe like five minutes doing some kind of in-depth <laughs> analysis, <laughs> or he could just compete. And it kind of reminds me of Roger Bannister. He's the first person to uh, break the four minute mile. And before him, you probably would have looked at statistics or maybe Roger could have looked at statistics and said, well, no one's broken the four minute mile. So it, it must be impossible. But then he broke it. And then uh, after that, the next year, a bunch of people broke it because they knew it was possible. And like I said before, Data is the most talented person in the Alpha Quadrant. So statistically, something hasn't happened before, but let's just compete. Let's do it and see if it can happen. And there's a pretty good chance Data can do it. Nice. David, what about you? Yeah, I, and I agree with you, Jason, because it was, for me, I looked at this as Data's Olympic moment. In his quest as not just becoming human, but, you know, in, in being able to profess strategy, right? Because in the very beginning, when we go back to peak performance and stuff, he's, you know, ones and zeros, he's, you know, neural network, he's mm -hmm. the machine. But now it's completely the opposite. You know, he's not relying on the statistical probability. He's not relying on pre-programmed routines or anything like that. It's entirely his gut instinct. And, and at this point, you know, even even Jordy and, and Crusher and Troy are saying, are you sure? Like you can't, you know, it's it's not going to happen. But then Data is kind of like in his moment in Redemption Part 2 when he's on the bridge. He kind of has to like stand up for himself. It's like, I know I can do this. And the, but obviously it's, you know, a, a much nicer crew <laughs> on this front, you know, but it's for him by saying, I can do this. Like my entire life has been leading up to this moment. And now all these experiences, the combination of, me and every all the other soon androids and before lore and and everybody else in his head the emotion chip his experiences with the queen and and everybody else all of this has been you know helping him prepare and and get ready for this moment so that now he can look at the situation again still with a growth oriented mindset and and a focus on the task at hand and say yeah it's unlikely it's impossible but I can do this. And if you look at this in, say, the context of the Olympics, right, 0.000001% of all humans will ever make it to the Olympics. And even a smaller percentage of that will actually win a medal. So statistically, it seems impossible for the three of us to ever get to the Olympics, right? But that doesn't mean that it's practically impossible. It's just for somebody like him, you know, he's got a whole lifetime of experiences and training and and all these other skills that he's developed over this long period of time to fall back on where he knows this is my moment this is my olympic moment this is my championship moment this is my do or die moment kind of thing like that but then when you also look at the actual the risk itself let's say we look at this from a, a just a like a risk assessment right What's the consequences of them not doing this, right? Because mm -hmm. they need to fly the Enterprise into the Borg cube in order to destroy the core. So if they decide, you know what? No, it's too risky. Let's go home. Well, then, you know, there goes Earth and there goes the entire galaxy and everybody right. gets assimilated and the Borg wins, right? So in mm -hmm. the end, it's like, you got to try. <laughs> in the end, regardless of what the actual outcome, the, the probability of it might be, the risk of, of doing that is not any greater than the risk of what's going to happen if you don't do it. So in the end, I think that's kind of what drives it to say, okay, we don't have any other options that we can find right now. We don't have a lot of time to find other options. So this is our best option. And then data coming up and saying, yeah, it's likely it may not happen, but 
in the end, he was the unique person in the right position to see this through. And, and, and he was probably the only person who could have pulled off uh, a run like that and, and, and pilot the enterprise the way that he did to get in there. And ultimately all that experience, everything that he had been doing up, the, up to that point, that's where it all paid off. And, and like you said, he was able to trust, trust in his, his training, trust in his instinct. He didn't have to, you know, sit there and try to work it out on his own. He was just able to hit the keyboard and just start, rolling with the punches <laughs> and i and i, I loved that I, I loved at that moment at the end too when um when he starts flying and <laughs> first he's like here goes nothing and troy's like wait what do you mean nothing <laughs> you know <laughs> and then it's like and then and then afterwards and then troy's like why am i sensing enjoyment you just see this big smirk <laughs> on his face you know because i mean you know at that point yeah sure uh, you know the whole galaxy is at risk here but he's having fun he's just like mm-hmm. yeah all right. We go with Data's gun. Here goes nothing. Wait, what do you mean nothing? Hang on! enjoyment i you know and I've, I've seen a lot of people mention this too it was great to see the enterprise be able to fly and maneuver the way that they did because you know a lot of people said well back when tng was airing and and things like that they didn't have the physical capability to pull off those kind of move maneuvers in the graphics right so we always see kind of more slower shots of the ship, even in space battles and stuff like that. So this was kind of the first time we really got to see the Enterprise D zip around the way that it did. And at that point, I mean, you know, you look at the context of it as well. The ship was, there was no, it was just the the bridge crew, nobody else on the ship, you know, so they didn't have a thousand people on the ship that would be being thrown around everywhere as they navigate, but they were able to, you know, navigate the ship and make it really fly in, in kind of a, a, a really great way, which was amazing. And that was just all data at that point. He was just having fun and just enjoying the moment because everything that he had been experiencing in his life leading up to that point was just, you know, he was acting purely on instinct and, and, and purely on just, all right, here we go. So he wasn't thinking ahead. He wasn't thinking behind. He was just right in that moment, focused on the task at hand. And he carried it all the way to the end and, and and ultimately passed the finish line on that one. And it was a grand finish, I thought. Yeah, nothing like flying uh, a, a spacecraft at unsafe velocities um, to bring you some joy. As I, I think that's like a mangled quote from Star Trek <laughs> <Yeah>. Nemesis. <laughs> I, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. And, and that's, you know, when, when Data really achieves um, humanity, right? You know, he, if, if he's not human at that point, I don't know when he will be human because, you know, just really incorporating all of that experience, going with his gut and enjoying that uh, that thrill of trying to achieve something that nobody has done before. Um, so thank you both for this wonderful and excellent discussion of Data as a strategist. My final question for you is where can people follow you on the Internet? Because I know they're going to be clamoring to know more about what you do. I'm uh, on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at CBT Sports Psych. I have a podcast. Mike, we definitely got to get you on. It's called Movie House Sports Psychology. And um, uh, that's where you can find me. Reach out uh, if you're interested. 
So I'm on Instagram as well. Fit with pride is one handle. And then I have my business handle Stonewall performance. You can also find me on Twitter, Stonewall fit, Facebook, Stonewall performance. And I also have a website, www.stonewallperformance.com. So, you know, there's kind of a theme here (laughs) as well. Um, If you are on LinkedIn, I also can connect on LinkedIn. My user handle is B T T R F L Y R. It's butterflyer without the vowels. And uh, I I do not have my own podcast, but to plug, I was also on Jason's podcast right. as well. We did a three part episode, so you know if you tune into his podcast, you can hear our our fabulous discussion about um, one of my favorite movies as well. So yeah, that's where you can find me, and um, yeah, I look forward to uh, connecting with anybody and geeking out and mm-hmm. enjoying all the uh, delicious sports psychology and Star Trek fun that we can have. All right. Well, thank you again for being on Strange New Worlds. Live long and prosper. That concludes our trilogy about data as a strategist with sports psychologists Jason Von Steetz and David Smith. Talking to Jason and David helped me see one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek in a new light. Their commentary and insights deepened my appreciation for how Data's character is, in many ways, a profound mirror for all of our personal journeys as human beings. Now, regular listeners of this show will have recognized that my podcasting rate, the number of episodes I post per unit time, has decreased over the past few months, and that can almost entirely be attributed to the fact that I am actively applying to tenure-track faculty positions at universities far and wide. Fall is job application season in academia, and I fired off roughly one application per week for the past few months, and preparing those applications has been eating into the time that I normally spend recording and editing podcasts. Honestly, it's a trade I'm willing to make because the chance of landing a permanent position at a university to secure my scientific career and educate the next generation of bright minds is something that I take very seriously. Strange New Worlds has never had a regular release schedule for this very reason. I do this podcast because I enjoy it and I do it when I can as frequently as I can depending on how busy the rest of my life is. This show is really a labor of love, and I've never wanted it to feel like work. So please bear with me as I continue to slowly drip out podcasts, but rest assured that when weeks go by without a new episode, that's not because Strange New Worlds is disappearing. It's simply because this show is subject to the highly variable weekly schedule of a postdoc who is currently freaking out about whether he'll have a job in two years. (laughs) Well, luckily for all of us, the winter holidays have afforded me the mental bandwidth to put together this final episode of our Data as a Strategist trilogy. And I have so many podcast ideas for 2024, and I'm really looking forward especially to the fifth and final season of Star Trek Discovery, where I plan to do my weekly reflections on that show when it begins airing in April. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart for listening to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I hope you're enjoying your own well-deserved break this holiday season, perhaps filling your days by reading about science and watching Star Trek with loved ones. That's what I'm doing, at least. 
Until 2024, stay safe, stay curious, and I'll see you out there.